This is a recording of Autumn Reinhardt Simpson speaking about the concept of female personhood at the Sunday, May 8, 2016 meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist podcast and leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, almost immediately that I came into Canada, I met Ian. Um, that was last year, by the way, June. And I am overwhelmed by the stuff that the BC humanist is doing. BC humanists are doing. It's really amazing, and it's the kind of stuff that we are always desperately trying to get started in the U.S. in terms of uh, smaller group action. So, should be really proud. Um, so. Oh, that's a big term. So I consider myself something of a scholar, philosopher in the not egotistical sense. Um, I'm a librarian, I'm a researcher, and that's just kind of in my blood and what I do. And something that has been very captivating for me for a long time is the concept of personhood in general. And um, as I became a feminist activist and throughout my career, it became quite obvious to me that female personhood is something we pay a lot of lip service to, but in theory is not a real thing. And I think humanism has a great role to play in um, bringing about a greater awareness of women as actual human beings. So this is what I'm going to do with you today. I do need to let you know that I'm going to be speaking primarily in binary terms. Um, and that's simply because you know, it's not because I want to diss any trans people or anything like that, but I think that trans concerns are so complex, I can't do justice to them, first of all, in an hour. Um, but also they require some different treatment in different areas that a lot of uh, women that are born biologically female don't experience. So I'm going to confine myself to that. <clears throat> I'm also going to be talking a lot about uh, humanism and atheism. And a lot of people use those terms interchangeably, and I firmly believe they are not interchangeable. Um, I'm going to try to define whether I'm talking about humanism or atheism as I go along. But in general, when we talk about concepts of women's human rights and female personhood, they tend to play out much the same in both communities. So that said, oh, by the way, I, I wanted to mention this first slide. This, this is a lovely, super lovely quote. Uh, a hen is not a bird, and a woman is not a person. That is a uh, quote out of Russia. It's a common saying in Russia, um, and not one that particularly raises a lot of eyebrows. So I'll just let you chew on that as we go along. Do they agree with that? I, I wouldn't say, I mean, not all Russians. Hashtag not all Russians. But it is a saying that came about around about the 19th century and is still said today, sometimes jokingly, sometimes jokingly, truthfully, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. So today, my definition for female personhood is, is an evolving, a working definition, because concepts of personhood are really, really complex. Um, what I use as the definition, this is a little bit difficult to read here, but 
it is the political and moral stance that women are human beings sharing in the full measure of humanity with men and therefore should be treated equally human in custom and before the law. So that covers legality as well as you know traditions and customs and whatnot. It seems like a pretty not controversial thing, so you would think. So a lot of my work as a humanist has focused on reproductive justice. And being that I'm from the US, I'm going to focus I'm going to talk a bit globally, but I'm also going to talk a lot about the U.S. and female personhood and, and what that means politically. I'm sure a lot of you are aware of all of the lovely things that are happening with women's rights in the U.S. at this moment, and I'm going to tie that in uh, with humanism and uh, female personhood for you. So as a humanist, feminist values are humanist values. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm not even going to argue that. So um, if you are a humanist, it behooves you to think of women as human beings, and therefore feminist values are humanist values. Now, we're so lucky because of the uh, AHA, Roy, who is a really awesome guy, is really struggling to make this clear to the humanist community, which has had some difficulty with um, humanism and feminism kind of clashing. This is a recent quote from an article in The, um, in the Humanist. <coughs> Since egalitarianism is foundational to humanism, it's inherently a feminist philosophy. So claiming one is not a feminist, but a humanist instead, isn't just a slap in the face to feminist struggles, it's also nonsensical. So, thanks Roy. He's a great champion for um, really bringing forth feminist values within the movement back home. And it makes sense too, right? When we talk about humanism, we're talking about a philosophy that believes in really advancing humanity, you know, advancing peace, uh, you know, making sure everyone's fed, all these, these great ideals that we have as humanists. So why would we lock out 50% of that potential, 50% of our resources and our creativity? However, while groups like the AHA unequivocally call themselves feminists, and the BCHA unambiguously, this is your quote, is unambiguously pro-choice. I love that. Um, we do have a lot of problem with regional and local groups not quite getting in on the game. And why would they? A lot of our national or international so-called leaders are all white men with really not exciting things to say about women. This is Sam Harris. And he says, there's something about that critical posture that is to some degree intrinsically male and more attractive to guys than to women. The atheist variable just has this. It doesn't obviously have this nurturing, coherence-building, extra estrogen vibe that you would want by default if you wanted to attract as many women as men. So that's Sam Harris, expert on women and feminism. <laughs> or women and humanism. And then we have Richard Dawkins. If you want to be in a position to testify and jail a man, don't get drunk. That was his uh, Twitter response to um, people talking about uh, raping an incapacitated or drunk woman. So his, his solution is just don't get drunk. So women just don't ever drink. You'll be fine. So Amy, um, Amy Roth Davis, who is a friend and um, a great artist, has spoken out against uh, things that have been said in this community, such as what we just looked at before. 
and she created this really, really great art installation called woman's house and it's basically made up of all of the threats that she got speaking out um, about feminism and humanism, feminism and atheism. She created this great installation. I want to point out something that's true for me, as true for me as it is for her. None of these threats come from outside of the atheist or humanist community. Really? No. I've never been threatened by a Christian man told that I should be raped and shut up and et cetera, et cetera. This is all stuff that comes out when we speak out within our own community. So, I'm positive. Yeah, because I'm me. <laughs> yeah, I have never, ever received a threat from anyone else. Yeah, so Amy's fantastic, by the way. She's uh, the Surly Ramics Amy. You all know she does these great humanist, atheist, science-themed jewelry. We're coming back to female personhood again. None of the quotes that we looked at are in any way affirming of women. They're definitely pushing us out of the community. They're threatening us. They're threatening our very lives, our safety. So it makes perfect sense that we're not exactly excited and, and showing up in droves. Although I see, yay, lots of women here. Um, but then I have to also do hashtag not all humanist groups because clearly the BCHA is a bit different in that regard. So these might seem like individual threats, right? These are, you know, somebody says a specific thing, somebody fires back, and it's all in a specific context. Mm -hmm. But what happens is when you take, and actually I'm going to put that back up. When you take the totality of this, you know, you have it all in front of you at once. This creates a larger problem. This, in its totality, is a denial of women's humanity because it's a denial of our human rights. This is a group of people saying, you should be raped, you should be killed, all these things simply for speaking out. And I actually, um, as a reproductive rights activist, I, funny enough, get a lot of anti-abortion threats from fellow atheists. Um, so almost every aspect of our human rights gets targeted from within our own group. I love this meme. It sets up the rest of my talk so perfectly. I do want to um, divert a bit and talk about the US and female personhood. Um, and this should kind of encapsulate everything a little bit better for you. As you know, in the US, we are currently, once again, fighting for our basic right to our own bodies. So this meme came about um, because we have, and I'll get into more depth in a sec, we have fetal personhood laws. No joke, we don't have a single law in the US that declares a woman as a human being. But people really want some laws declaring fertilized eggs as human beings. Corporations, yay, yeah. Believe it or not, the Supreme Court actually quite literally declared them human beings. We'll get into that in a sec. And then there's women. See, I think that's actually kind of the problem, actually. We think we understand that, but in practice, it's not true. Uh, even within Canada, so I'm going to pick on the USA because I'm from there and I can do it, um, but there are problems all over the world. There is not yet a country that fully recognizes the legal status of women as human beings, and that legal status is what is most important because even if we do kind of understand we need that legal 
absolute, like, women can have these rights, too. Otherwise, I mean, they can be taken away at any time. So what's very interesting to me is that there hasn't really been a large-scale fight coming from the humanist corner to support women's personhood. And that's interesting, because when you think of the problems that we face as women, things that um, are attacking our personhood, they kind of come from a religious corner. They are not invented by religion. I will get to that in a minute. And clearly humanists are not immune from some of the attitudes that women face. But when you think of, a, say, reproductive rights, why don't we have a large-scale attack coming from the humanists on the denial of women's reproductive rights? And it is a problem here in Canada as well. Joyce will probably talk even more <laughs> about that than I could. Um, of course, BCHA. You guys have a great section on your website that does talk about reproductive rights, and you guys are very active, so that's, that's a great step. But nationally, um, in the US, and, and I, I think in Canada, I'm long enough, I haven't seen anything. Which is interesting, because this touches reproductive rights. Every single atheist humanist hotspot, whether we're talking about separation of church and state, which I know is not a legal thing here, but everybody really wants it. <laughs> uh, medical ethics, medical privacy, basic science education, and really just philosophical questions of how we define a human being. So it's really telling to me that we haven't had a larger response from the humanist community. <clears throat> and the reason I think that that happens is because, again, it's a subconscious thing, but we don't really accept that those rights, reproductive rights, rights to birth control, are actual human rights. We think they're extras. <laughs> So back home, oh boy, back home. Personhood is incredibly <coughs> controversial, fetal personhood, which is kind of surprising, right? You would think that the religious right would be all over this one. There's actually a lot of division. And that's the only thing keeping us from having an actual fetal personhood amendment, an amendment declaring that fertilized eggs are more human than women. I've highlighted here the states in which there have been attempts to create fetal personhood laws. One is the state I just moved from, Virginia. Um, that, that's pretty much dead there. That, that's never, never, never coming back. Uh, Missouri, Oklahoma, Colorado, and Nevada. And that's just so far. There are tons of groups everywhere working constantly on these personhood amendments. And, believe it or not, you have people working for them here in Canada in ways that you may not recognize. That is in, uh, what was the name of that bill? It was Ken Epp, who uh, wanted to pass a bill that was basically a bill supporting the, the Unborn Victims of Crimes Act. It was uh, meant to allow a person to sue for damages or um, be convicted of a crime if they hurt a pregnant woman, and the fetus died as well. It sounds great, right? I mean, you have this, this fetus, and you want this baby. Somebody does something terrible to you, and yeah. These are all backdoor attempts to get fetal personhood on the books. That's how it started in the US as well. 
I always say that just wait five years. Anytime something happens in the US, it's going to crop up in Canada with the social conservatives here. So that's, that's a good timeline. So I want to talk a bit. I've talked about fetal personhood in the US. Now we have corporate personhood. Uh, do you guys remember, um, if anyone was paying attention at all to, to the U.S. at that time, the um, Citizens United decision versus the Federal Election Commission? You guys aware of what that did? Yeah, so basically prior to that Supreme Court case, for-profit corporations as well as non-profit corporations, pardon me, I still got a cold, um, they were capped in how much they could spend on an individual candidate. Makes sense, right? You don't want to drown out people's voices, like actual, actual human being voices. Uh, and Citizens United, which was a corporate lobby group, didn't like this so much, and so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court, arguing that money is actual speech, and it's being donated by people, therefore people, free speech, etc. The court actually agreed. They decided that corporations were people with the right of free speech. So this unleashed a huge flood of money from corporations into American politics. So much so that most people don't even bother to donate to candidates anymore as individuals unless they get really hyped up, such as you know with Barack Obama and such. But uh, I think individual donations have dropped. So, sorry? Oh, Bernie. There, Bernie has a crowd. It's true. It's true. However, I don't know, we're bursting bubbles in here, but Bernie takes corporate money as well. So um, you, you can't not take corporate money in the U.S. I mean, you, there's no way you can run for office without having billions of dollars. The first billion dollar election was Barack Obama's. And yeah, if you want anything in politics, you need to have that money. So Citizens United effectively quashed anybody's dreams of just kind of being the regular person to get in and fix things in the government. What does this mean for women? Well, we already have only 17% representation in the government back home. That's awful. Uh, and now, basically, Walmart, GE, etc. are electing our candidates. If you look at the uh, primaries back home right now, who are the two people that are the, the presumptive nominees? They're the two richest people. That's not an accident. Also, the corporations that are donating all this money to ultra-conservative candidates are the same people who are very much opposed to women's human rights in any way, shape, or form. They are often the same people donating to Koch brothers, um, packs, super PACs, and things like that to ensure that women have no voice so again, speaking about the US and personhood, just to make my case. So this is Marlise, and she is an illustration of the fact that in many states, women do not even have the rights of a corpse. What I mean by that, that's not hyperbole or trying to get you all excited. In the US, and I'm sure here as well, if you want to um, donate your organs or anything like that, you usually have to give consent before you die. No one's just going to come in and rip you open and take out your organs. However, women are routinely expected, no matter what, to donate their entire bodies to a pregnancy against their will because of certain laws. Marlise, this was a particularly egregious and horrible example. 
She um, had a stroke. It was totally unforeseen. I went into the hospital in Texas. She actually had a do not resuscitate order. Um, her husband knew her wishes, and they said, let's take her off this ventilator. But by Texas law, they could not. They have a law in place that says they must do absolutely everything possible to save the life of a fetus. So they essentially kept a dead woman on a ventilator so that she could give birth. Luckily, uh, this was taken to court and challenged, and the husband did win the right to take his wife off the ventilator, um, but it has done nothing to change the law. Texas is not the only state. So besides all these lovely, exciting things that we deal with as American women, we also have trap laws designed to, to shut down clinics all over the country. These are laws that stipulate um, you know, that we must be surgically, uh, surgical ambulatory centers. You know, we must be these hospitals in order to provide abortions, which really are just one-day office procedures. Uh, we have all these things put in place to try to shut down a woman's absolutely declared human right to bodily autonomy. So when humanists do speak out against this type of thing, what usually tends to happen is that we start to turn women into abstractions. And this is kind of because it's our nature to be super rational, right? You know, we, we take an argument and we get really rational about it and we start talking about the what ifs and wherefores, et cetera, et cetera. And that's good. It's, it's a really important exercise. But I think we've really done this to the detriment in, uh, of women in our movement. We've turned all of us into abstractions instead of realizing this is our life, especially in the US. This is what we face. These are real, absolute, everyday situations. Women are being jailed right now uh, for attempting to abort at home because they only, uh, it's 90, almost 90% now of counties in the US that don't have an abortion provider. So we're having the tools yanked away from us, attempting to take control of our own lives, and then punished for it. These are everyday realities. These are not abstractions. And even though we want to be ultra-rational, we want to live up to, to our view as very scientific, we have to remember that lived experience is extremely important to informing our decisions, our policies. So I find it, um, find it interesting, the different ways that we've tried to fix this problem around the world. In the US, we have something called the Equal Rights Amendment. We don't have, <laughs> we want. Um, this was written in the 1920s. 24 simple words. This is the entire text of the Equal Rights Amendment. And it says, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Sounds pretty obvious. It continues all the way up to this year to be defeated by states across the US. It actually sailed through pretty well in 1972. And we had 35 of 38 states needed ratify it. We were only three states short of making that an actual amendment. But what happened was people came in and said, oh, wait, but if you do this, women might have abortions. And suddenly it was quashed. We still bring this up every year. It still continues not to pass. Thus, women have no 
constitutional amendment in the us protecting their rights we have other things we have global attempts to to fix this problem we have the convention of the excuse me on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women which is called CEDAW which always makes me feel like I'm saying hee-haw it's got these these really great provisions in it you know it's meant to eliminate all sex and gender-based discrimination it's the first and only treaty to affirm the reproductive rights of women as actual human rights the Universal Declaration makes no mention of women specifically of their rights this is the only one mentions that traditions and culture are shaping forces behind gender roles that's touchy sounds awesome huh except that CEDAW allows countries to file reservations to the individual provisions while still remaining signatories so what this means is that countries like Mauritania can sign on and say hey awesome we totally believe in, in female personhood and equal rights and all this great stuff but I'm gonna send in you know like 84 different reservations on all the individual provisions it's completely a toothless treaty it has no enforcement uh, power of course it's a UN treaty so nobody's forced to do anything about it there is a promise when you sign it that you will implement all of the provisions and there's a timeline nobody has even been given a stern talking to you about not meeting that deadline it's a completely meaningless declaration and actually I, I did want to mention uh, that also the United States <laughs> the United States still hasn't ratified it and it, it you know holds company with some, some really great other people like Saudi Arabia and, you know other great champions of women's rights um, and believe it or not that still comes up as well just like the ERA we're always like hey can you just can you ratify this no it's not a priority so article 16 of CEDAW um, I guess I should go back to this boy uh, it concerns the equality of women in marriage and family life just that basic idea that women are equal in family and married life 23 reservations the committee and general recommendation number 28 specifically states that reservations to article 2 which concerns general discrimination are impermissible so you can't write in a reservation and say actually I think women should be discriminated against they openly say you can't do that however article 2 has 17 reservations so even the one that they say you, you can't you can't sign this if you don't like this particular article they still let them sign it they still let them put a reservation against it a lot of this comes from legal theory believe it or not about the private and public sphere women have always been seen to belong to the private sphere you have man and man is active and he's political and he's you know he exists in his family but he does all these other things out here women has always have always been seen as operating in the private sphere home and under the headship of a man and therefore under his rule and believe it or not this still very subconsciously not so subconsciously still informs a lot of international law because a lot of times we're dealing with a lot of different cultures a lot of different religions people are 
a little bit uh, worried about opening that can of worms. So it's interesting, though, because you think of that as a religious idea, right? Headship? It's not. It's been around forever and ever. Uh, people dispute all the time. Scholars have not figured out where we got this idea that, you know, the things that women do are inferior to the things men do. We assume it comes from hunting, gathering, when that extra 10% strength that you guys have on us was needed to go out and do all the heavy lifting. But we don't actually know. So a lot of us tend to blame misogyny on religion, but uh, I would be a little more cautious about that. Let's talk about the Universal Declaration for Human Rights, because a lot of times we cite that as somehow being this great thing for women. And it is in a sense. It's a good, very general explanation of um, you know, what is due to a human being. But there are several problems with this. Uh, first of all, Article 12 is often cited as a reason to discriminate against women. Article 12 says, no one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence, nor to attacks upon his honor and reputation. Everyone has the right to, uh, to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. Oh man, we are so gonna come back to that too. Um, what's interesting is that this is what's used to continue the idea of the public-private sphere. So when the UN comes in and says, maybe it'd be cool if your wife had a little bit more freedom, a lot of people come back, a lot of countries come back and say, you cannot interfere with privacy, family, home. It's right there in the, in the UN Declaration of Human Rights, and then they're like, oh, okay. They always step back, because women are stuck in there. So about, um, about that, somebody said it says his. There is now a version of the Universal Declaration that is in gender-neutral language, which is awesome. However, this comes directly from the UN website. They still have theirs in gendered language. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking, well, whatever. You know, I mean, that, we know what they mean when they say his or man, you know, whatever. So I want to read to you a sentence. Article 1 of the UN Declaration says, quote, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Now, I'd like us to reread that sentence for a minute, at least the last part. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of sisterhood. Does that sound like it includes everyone? I mean, who cares? We know what they mean, right? You mean everybody. What's your problem? It doesn't work, does it? So we're so used to hearing people say, man and mankind, and, and yeah, you know, we get used to it. We get used to it, and that's the problem. It normalizes, and it really legitimizes the male experience as the universal experience. And as we can see from the UN Declaration, there is nothing in there that mentions women's human rights, either to reproductive justice, bodily autonomy, etc. There are things you can kind of maybe possibly infer from it, but as you can see from Article 12 and the use that's made of it, it doesn't matter. If it's not there, if it's not explicit, you've got problems for women. I just want to show you another example that, oh God, this absolutely killed me when this happened. You guys remember... Oh, sorry, that picture's a bit blurry. 
Do you guys remember the uh, Starbucks debacle earlier this year in Riyadh? So in Saudi Arabia, they have, they have a Starbucks in Riyadh, and I, don't worry, I'll read this for you. I know it's a bit small. Sorry about that. <coughs> Pardon me. So they have a Starbucks in Riyadh because there's a Starbucks everywhere. And they had a gender wall, right? Because in Saudi Arabia, ooh, don't mix the genders, don't mix the sexes. So there's one side for guys and one side for women and children. And by the way, women and children being grouped together is really telling. And I'll get to that in a sec. And that wall came down at one point, uh, got broken, something happened to it. So the solution of the Starbucks in Riyadh was to say, well, just keep the women out. And of course, the world went nuts. You can't do that. You can't do that. So Starbucks then says, oh, Riyadh store, you better build up that wall again. And they do. And everyone's satisfied. And I wanted to light my hair on fire in frustration. Starbucks patted itself on the back with this statement afterwards saying, Starbucks in Saudi Arabia adheres to the local customs by providing separate entrances for families as well as single people. That's a polite way of saying men and women. We are working as quickly as possible as we refurbish our uh, Gabir store so that we may, be again we may again welcome all customers in accordance with local customs. How nice! Except why the hell is Starbucks doing business there in the first place? Half the population, th they can't even drive. Let me tell you something about the rights of women in Saudi Arabia just for a minute. If a woman Married woman, her husband dies, and she's got an infant son. Okay, like in Canada, you would think, okay, oh, that's awful. My husband died. I've got this child. I've got to take care of this child. And, you know, I'm the boss now, right? In Saudi Arabia, women have so few rights. Legally, that infant son is her guardian. Why the hell is Starbucks doing business with that country? Well, as a... a particular feminist scholar would say, it's part of what's called the gentleman's agreement. We won't inquire too much into how you treat your women so long as you give us your natural resources, you sign this treaty, you, you know, do whatever it is we need you to do. Because women are in the private sphere, right? Whatever, whatever. You guys, that's your thing. God, I about died. I, I still am dying. Everyone thought Starbucks was so reasonable, and oh, look how nice they are about the customs of this country. Oh, that's just great. So the problem with situations like this, even though they're delicate, right? Because, not this situation in particular, but in most situations, you want to be sensitive about customs and traditions and culture. But when you pull stuff like this, what you were essentially telling the world is that women's human rights are negotiable. And if women's human rights are negotiable, then they cannot be considered as fully human as a man. Because men's rights are not considered negotiable. So now we're going to get to the fun stuff, the way less complaining stuff. Awesome. So what can we do? What can we do as humanists? We've talked about the problems we have in our own movement, uh, the barriers women face to greater leadership in our movement, and we've talked about 
you know, in my own country what's going on. We've talked about on the world stage the idea of women as human beings as well. So what can humanists really, really do? First, we can clean our own house. Okay, and this is not like a violent operation, kick them all out. This is not quite what I mean, despite the exuberance of this particular meme. Um, we need to really take a look within uh, you know, our own organizations, maybe within ourselves, and we need to consider these points. Are we actually, are we paying lip service to this idea that the woman next to me is a human being deserving of the same rights as I am? Or are we actually believing that? Are we acting on that? And I like to say, when people challenge me on this, which I can't believe they do, um, if we had a group of rabid racists among us, would we just kind of go, yeah, whatever? I don't think we would. I think we have a lot of integrity as humanists. I think we would call it out. One thing I think, oops. One thing that um, we can do is we can set up a little committee. It can be little, it can be big. Please, God, have some women on it. To explore the state of women and humanism within your own group or within, you know, maybe the province or, you know, whatever you want it to be. Have a committee just to explore this question. I have a feeling if you guys set up such a committee, you're going to just be patting yourselves on the back a lot. You'll probably find a few things you need to do, but seriously, you guys are awesome, so that's great. Um, I love this slide, by the way. This actually came about very serendipi serendipitously. I wasn't even looking for it. This is nothing for us without us. Nothing for women without their involvement and inclusion. So that's why I mean, that's why I say include some women in these groups, please. Don't, don't make decisions for us without us being there. Host feminist speakers. Oops. And celebrate secular feminist holidays. Yeah. Like March 8th. You guys know what day that is, right? Brilliant. That's a great secular feminist holiday, right? Maybe you guys already do. I don't know. Host feminist speakers. Good job. A plus. Examine the issues in your local community. Get involved in those. Show up at, you know, council meetings or whatever it is that you need to do to get involved. You know, be a present at those meetings. Write op-eds. I don't know, do people do that in Canada a lot? I know, I'm so ignorant. I'm like, I was a big op-ed writer. So, okay, well, do it anyway. Um, present position papers. If you've got an issue in your community, and I know like sex ed is a big one for a lot of communities in Canada, write a position paper. Get your new committee to do it. Openly declare yourselves feminists. You guys already pretty, pretty well do that. But don't be shy about it. Don't be shy about inviting women to come into your group to take positions of leadership. Don't be afraid to listen to their experiences. Write more feminist, humanist literature. We don't have hardly, like, we have almost nothing. Of course, I'm plugging my own book now, by the way. Late 2017, Women Are Human, Autumn Reinhardt Simpson. 
But, you know, outdo me. Argue with me. Whatever you need to do, produce feminist, humanist literature. Uh, one thing you can do is, uh, you know, help me start the first humanist organization in Canada specifically devoted to women's human rights. You know, use the help. But mainly, let's listen to women. Okay, let's not make abstractions of women just because we're super rational. And we are. We're awesome. But really, listen to women. Don't turn them into objects that you argue about um, just for fun on Facebook. You know, we should have rights not just because religious people are taking them away. We should have rights because we're actual human beings. I'd like to close by saying that, again, if we don't take up this challenge right now, if we don't work to make but female personhood an actual issue, and by that I mean, again, making the rights contingent on us actually being human beings, not because it satisfies some other humanist secular agenda. If we don't take this up and we continue to alienate women from our movement, we are losing an unconscionable amount of resources, of creativity, of inspiration. You guys are amazing, and once again, I would like to congratulate all of you on just being in such a fantastic group. I'm more than impressed by the DC humanists. Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs>